Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey everyone, it's Kathy. On this episode of History of the 90s, we're doing things a little differently. Response to our earlier episode on The Simpsons was so great that we decided to revisit the show by looking back at some of the best episodes from the 90s, with a little help from you, our listeners. I sent out a request and asked you what Simpsons episode from the golden age of the show was your favorite, and this is some of what you said. In no particular order, here are 10 of your favorite Simpsons episodes from the 1990s. I decided to mix the little bits that were left in every liquor bottle. In my haste, I had grabbed a bottle of the kids' cough syrup. Homer came up with his highly flammable drink in season three of The Simpsons. The iconic beverage made its debut in November 1991 in the episode called Flaming Moe's. It doesn't have a real recipe, but since then, bartenders around the nation have tried to reconstruct the not-so-delicious-sounding cocktail. Luckily, in most cases, the cough syrup is replaced with high-proof rum. You float the rum on top, light a match, and swoosh, a flaming homer. Well, actually, it became known as a flaming Moe, after Moe the bartender stole the idea from Homer and passed it off as his own. Hey, buddy, have one on the house. Hey, hey, this drink is delicious, and my phlegm feels looser. What do you call it? Well, it's called a Flaming Mo. It's called a Flaming Mo. That's right, a Flaming Mo. My name is Mo, and I invented it. That's why it's called a Flaming Mo. What? What are you looking at, Homer? It's a Flaming Mo. I'm Mo. In the episode, Homer is forced to sit by and watch as Mo mass-produces the drink and becomes a commercial success, without giving any credit to his friend. You may remember from the earlier episode we did on The Simpsons, the Flaming Moe storyline was actually a bit of a coded message from the show's co-creator, Sam Simon, who felt slighted that Matt Groening got all the credit for the show. In Flaming Moe's, Homer and the bartender eventually reconcile, but unfortunately, not for Simon and Groening. Simon left The Simpsons in season four. He did, however, retain the title of executive producer and was given royalties from future home video sales, which proved to be pretty lucrative. Sam Simon died of cancer in 2015 at the age of 59. But before he died, Simon had said in interviews that the show earned him tens of millions of dollars each year. The episode Flaming Moe's, which also beautifully parodies the TV sitcom Cheers, was listed as a favorite by many of our listeners a sentiment echoed by Simpsons fans across the board. Okay, let's go over the ground rules. You can't leave first until you chug a beer. Any man scoring has to chug a beer. You have to chug a beer at the top of all odd-numbered innings. Oh, and the fourth inning is the beer inning. Hey, I know how to play softball. 
In the season three episode, Homer at Bat, Homer and his colleagues from the Springfield nuclear power plant sure know how to play softball. Thanks to Homer's secret weapon, the Wonder Bat, which he constructed from a tree branch that fell on him during a thunderstorm. The team goes on an unprecedented winning streak, making it to the championship game against a rival plant. Homer's boss, Mr. Burns, places a big bet on his team, and to ensure a win, he calls in a bunch of ringers to replace Homer and his teammates. And they aren't just any ringers. MLB All-Stars Wade Boggs, Jose Canseco, Roger Clemens, Ken Griffey Jr., Don Mattingly, Steve Sachs, Mike Sosha, Ozzie Smith, and Daryl Strawberry, who all voiced their own characters, were given jobs at the plant so they could play on the team. But the night before the game, all of the MLB players, except Daryl Strawberry, get into mishaps and situations that prevent them from playing. Including Don Mattingly, who gets kicked off the team because of non-existent sideburns. <gasps> Mattingly! I thought I told you to trim those sideburns! Go home! You're off the team! For good! Fine. Still like him better than Steinbrenner. Thanks to Ben Kwan for writing in and flagging that classic one-liner by Mattingly. Homer at Bat was a huge coup for the show. Nine celebrity ballplayers in one episode. Incredible. And despite the fact that none of them had any prior acting experience, they did a pretty great job. So great that this episode was the first one to beat The Cosby Show in the weekly ratings. It's a favorite of both fans and show writers. And in 2017, the episode was even inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Plus, documentary filmmaker Morgan Spurlock made a mockumentary about the episode called Springfield of Dreams, The Legend of Homer Simpson. And in case you didn't see it, despite being replaced by Daryl Strawberry in right field, Homer manages to be the hero of the game. I won't spoil it, though. You'll have to go back and check it out to see how he does it. Okay, for the next one, I'm going to turn it over to Mimi Farage, one of the many great listeners who wrote in. Another favorite Simpsons episode has to be Selma's Choice. And to see an episode revolving around Selma and how she wants to have a baby. And she's really given a crash course on being a mom by taking Bart and Lisa to Duff Gardens, where you know chaos is about to ensue. Um, with Bart going on a roller coaster and Lisa getting drunk off of the ride water and that iconic line I am the lizard queen and let's not forget the classic scene where Homer gets sick and has to stay home and the reason being for eating a moldy sandwich ew thanks Mimi for the excellent recap for the record that episode ran in 1993 during this show's fourth season and it ended with Selma adopting an iguana named Jub Jub after she discovered being a parent was harder than expected. But in case you stop watching The Simpsons at some point during the past 30 years, you'll be happy to know Selma did fulfill her dream of having a child 12 years later, when she adopted a daughter named Ling from China in season 16. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. 
because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. In another fan-favorite episode that aired in January 1995 as part of season six, Homer stumbled on a secret society called the Stonecutters. The episode called Homer the Great featured the Emmy-nominated and hilarious We Do, the Stonecutter song. We Do was written by longtime Simpsons composer Elf Clausen and features members of the elite brotherhood boasting about their less-than-impressive accomplishments. Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. Incidentally, Clausen was let go from the show in 2017 at the age of 75. He had worked on The Simpsons for 27 years, but producers said they became dissatisfied with his work on a hip-hop-themed episode. Clausen filed a lawsuit against 20th Century Fox claiming age discrimination, but the case was thrown out by a judge in 2020. Meantime, Homer was thrown out of the Springfield chapter of The Stonecutters, after he used the group's hallowed sacred parchment as a napkin during a rib dinner. Then when members of the secret group saw a birthmark on Homer's butt that resembled the stonecutter's insignia, he was appointed their leader. You are the chosen one whom the sacred parchment prophesied would lead us to glory. Now to the top of Mount Springfield for the coronation. Remove the stone of shame. Attach the Stone of Triumph! Oh! Not surprisingly, things didn't work out for Homer, who should have listened to Lisa, who warned her dad that fame and power wasn't all it's cracked up to be. Okay, for the next one, once again, I turn it over to a History of the 90s listener. Here's Scott Boys. I'd have to say my favorite episode of The Simpsons has to be the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode just because you didn't expect who actually did it. Thanks. Love the show. During the summer of 1995, while the nation was glued to their television sets, watching the O.J. Simpson murder trial, transfixed by DNA evidence, isotoner gloves, and testimony from Cato Kalin, there was another crime on the minds of Simpsons fans. (laughs) They were wondering... Who shot Mr. Burns? Season six of The Simpsons ended with a cliffhanger finale when Homer's boss was shot outside Springfield Town Hall. And viewers had to wait until the fall when the show returned with the season seven premiere to find out who did it. Of course, it was a parody of the famous 1980 season finale of the nighttime soap Dallas, which left the nation debating who shot J.R., The Who Shot Mr. Burns storyline was the first and only two-part episode of The Simpsons in its more than 30-year history. And it received the show's biggest marketing blitz outside of The Simpsons movie in 2007. During the summer of 1995, Fox launched a website to give fans clues about the crime. It was one of the first attempts by a television show to interact with viewers online. And it got more than 500,000 hits. Fox also announced a contest to promote the event, which promised a very special prize to the fan who could guess the shooter correctly. But the contest ended up being pretty complicated and kind of a flop. It was sponsored by 1-800-COLLECT. 
to be eligible for the contest, you had to use 1-800-COLLECT during the summer, then submit your name and the name of the person you were calling. On the day of the season 8 premiere, 200 names were pulled. If you were called and got the right answer, plus the person you had phoned was also home to answer a call, then you would win the grand prize. See what I mean? Complicated. But if you won, it was a pretty cool prize. Animators would make a character in your likeness for an upcoming episode of The Simpsons. But not surprisingly, of the 200 names pulled, no one was able to meet all of the complicated qualifications. So someone from the 200 was picked randomly to be the winner. And that winner, Fela Gibson from Washington, D.C., wasn't really a regular watcher of The Simpsons. So she didn't care about being animated into an episode. Instead, she was given an option to pick a cash prize, which she did. Part 2 of Who Shot Mr. Burns ran at 8 p.m. on Sunday, September 17, 1995. Before it aired, Part 1 was played again at 7 p.m. for anyone who missed it the first time. And it was followed by a half-hour special called Springfield's Most Wanted. It was a parody of the long-running Fox show America's Most Wanted, hosted by John Walsh. On the special, which ran just that one night, Walsh gave a rundown of the various suspects and even checked in with L.A. Police Chief Daryl Gates. Just to be clear, this wasn't an animated Simpsons episode. It was a regular TV show with the real people. The special was made exclusively by Fox and not the crew who made The Simpsons. And it wasn't well-received at the time, especially the involvement of John Walsh. Some of his contemporaries called his appearance tacky and gimmicky. As for the season eight premiere, viewers were shocked to learn who the shooter was. And warning, here comes a spoiler. The one who shot me was... (laughs) Maggie Simpson. Just like Scott Boy said, viewers did not see that coming. Even some of the people involved with making the show didn't see it either. Great steps were taken to keep the identity of the shooter under wraps over the summer. An alternate ending was made that put the blame on Mr. Burns' longtime assistant, Waylon Smithers. Plus, several short segments were animated showing a few different characters pulling the trigger, including Barney, the town drunk. The second part of Who Shot Mr. Burns attracted viewers from more than 12 million households, which is pretty amazing, but pales in comparison to the 80 million viewers who tuned in to watch the Dallas Who Shot JR finale in 1980. For the next one, I'm turning it over to author Matthew Clickstein, friend of the show who appeared on our earlier Simpsons episode. Matthew and Simpsons writer Mike Reese co-wrote the book Springfield Confidential. When we spoke recently, he told me one of his favorite episodes is Marge Be Not Proud, which aired in 1995 as part of season seven. Here's Matthew. It's the episode where Bart really wants a video game and decides, um, unfortunately, to shoplift it after he's encouraged by a couple of the bullies. Are you guys shoplifting? Four-finger discount, dude. Shoplifting is a victimless crime, like punching someone in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) And he does shoplift the, the video game and gets in trouble for it. 
uh, and is not allowed back at the at the little department store where he uh, stole it from. And unfortunately, uh, Marge really wants uh, a family picture, and that's where they go to get their family pictures, and they have to bring Bart back. And a lot more happens. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen or hasn't seen in a while. There's a great little moment at the end that brings it all together so well. I'm getting shivers even just thinking about it. It's just really good writing. And it is amazing that they're able to do it in 22 to 28 minutes. Matthew is bang on. What the writers of The Simpsons are able to jam into each short episode is incredible. The jokes, the storylines, and pop culture references are nonstop. And there was one episode that proved this even more than any of the others. And it's our next pick. Season 7's 22 short films about Springfield originally aired in 1996 and is arguably one of the most beloved episodes of The Simpsons. The experimental episode presented a series of short stories, or vignettes if you like, featuring the characters who make up Springfield. And you might be surprised to learn that it was created as a sort of proof of concept for a possible Simpsons spin-off show. Apparently, there were conversations about a show that would have allowed Simpsons writers to explore storylines that were outside the normal Springfield universe. But producer James L. Brooks ultimately decided to keep the focus on the Simpson family itself. The episode included stories about Apu's five-minute trip to a party, Mr. Burns and Smithers on a tandem bicycle ride, and a great parody of Pulp Fiction. You know, I went to the McDonald's in uh, Shelbyville on Friday night. I'm like, what? Uh, McDonald's restaurant. I, I never heard of it either, but uh, they have over 2,000 locations in this state alone. Must have sprung up overnight. You know the funniest thing, though? It's the little differences. Example. Well, at McDonald's, you can buy a Krusty Burger with cheese, right? But they don't call it a Krusty Burger with cheese. Get out. Well, why do they call it? A quarter pounder with cheese. The Simpsons writers definitely know how to do parody. In its decades-long run, the show has tackled Goodfellas, The Graduate, MacGyver, and James Bond culture in the episode You Only Move Twice, which is our next pick. The episode from Season 8 sees the Simpson family pack up and move to Cypress Creek, a seemingly perfect development where Homer takes his dream job at the Globex Corporation. But things go a little bit haywire after Marge starts day drinking while living in a self-cleaning house and Homer's new boss, Hank Scorpio, turns out to have a secret identity. Scorpio, who was voiced by the great Albert Brooks, is a charismatic, fast-talking industrialist with a passing resemblance to a younger version of Richard Branson. Homer thinks he's the best boss ever, but everyone else comes to realize he's actually a power-mad villain bent on defeating secret agent James Bond. Ingenious, isn't it, Mr. Bond? Scorpio, you're totally mad. <laughs> I wouldn't point fingers, you jerk. Sure, do you expect me to talk? I don't expect anything from you except to die and be a very cheap funeral. Producers say that when Albert Brooks voiced the iconic Hank Scorpio, he actually ad-libbed most of his lines. Through the years, Brooks has been a frequent guest on The Simpsons, playing other popular characters, including Jacques, the French bowling coach who tried to seduce Marge. For the next one, let's hear from another listener. Here's Ryan DeLong. My favorite Simpsons episode is Great School Confidential. I like when Ralph says, 
Principal Skinner and Mrs. Krabappel were in the closet making babies, and I saw one of the babies, and the baby looked at me. Ah, the romance between Seymour Skinner and Edna Krabappel. A storyline that would weave in and out of the show for years. Until Edna connected with the real love of her life 14 years later in season 22. And here comes another spoiler. It wasn't Principal Skinner. It was Ned Flanders. Marsha Wallace, who was the voice of Edna Krabappel, died in 2013. And rather than hire someone else to voice the fourth grade teacher, the show decided to retire the character. Shortly after Wallace's passing, the show paid tribute to her with a special opening scene. In it, Bart wrote a single line on the chalkboard that simply read, We'll really miss you, Mrs. K. The show didn't explain how Mrs. K died, but did address her passing with a sweet episode that showed Ned and Edna dancing. Then viewers realize it's all a dream by Ned, who's wearing a black armband. He then says, sure do miss that laugh. (laughs) For the last episode, we'll give the honor to Yardley Smith, the voice of Lisa Simpson. She joined us on our earlier episode about The Simpsons, and here's what she had to say when I asked her about her favorite episode. I have like a, a, a list of, a, sort of a running list of about 10 of them. Um, certainly Moaning Lisa makes that list. The Summer of Four Foot Two is a great episode. My favorite scene in that is a scene in the kitchen after she finds out that Bart has, sitting at the kitchen table at breakfast, and she finds out that Bart has outed her to these cool kids that she's trying to fit in with. And uh, Marge is in the kitchen, and when Marge turns her back, Lisa lets Bart have it in about three sentences. It's so good. It's so, so fun. So cute. I know exactly who I am. I am the sister of a rotten, jealous, mean little sneak. You cost me my only friends. You ruined my life. There's a great episode that's not a Lisa episode but it is called Bart Sells His Soul. And it's it's so quintessentially Simpson. So Bart sells his soul to Millhouse for a dollar and then because he doesn't believe that you have a soul. And then the animation and the story reflect the fact that really maybe you do have a soul. It's just something you can't see. So it's a little bit about having faith in the things that aren't right in front of you. And uh, Lisa buys his soul back for $5. And it's so fantastic. It's so great. So brilliant. Just like Yardley, it was really hard for me to narrow down this list of best Simpsons episodes from the 90s. So many of you sent some really great suggestions. Lisa gets an A, Two Dozen and One Greyhounds, King-Sized Homer, and Lisa the Vegetarian, to name a few. Thanks to all of you who sent me an email, a message, or a voice memo. This was a ton of fun, and I loved hearing from you. If you have a story idea or a memory from the 90s that you want to share, please do. You can reach me on Twitter and Facebook at 1990s History or on Instagram at That 90s Podcast. You can also email me at 90s at CuriousCast.ca. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kathy Gonzora. Our producer is Dila Velasquez. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s. 